0: Good morning, Hillside. How are we doing, everyone? A little sleepy. Still want to be in bed. What's the What's the general? Yeah. Well, my name is uh, Caleb. It's my great honor to be. Hello, hello. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Um, it really is my great honor uh, to be speaking with all of you today. Uh, we're actually. I'm gonna. We're gonna do things a little differently today. Um, we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus and the paralyzed man. Uh, it's in Matthew 9. If you want to read through it, you can. But we won't be reading it together like we usually do. Uh, instead, we're going to walk through this story in a different way. Um, we're going to go deep. I'm going to paint. I'm going to hopefully paint a picture for you all. And I, uh, my hope is that you can, as best as you possibly can, put yourselves in the shoes of who this story is about. You might be incredibly familiar with this passage already, but my prayer has been that the Lord would ignite within us this morning uh, a new holy imagination. So would you join me as uh, we pray uh, for this service? Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're present with us today. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would come. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears. Uh, Yeah, come, Lord Jesus, come. In your name we pray, amen. So, Jesus healing the paralyzed man. Where to begin? Well, I want to start with a little bit of color. What does it mean to be a paralyzed man in ancient Israel? He couldn't walk. This means that uh, work uh, he couldn't work as most men of the time were laborers or craftsmen. Not being able to work meant he wouldn't be able to get around a quarry or a workshop or a fishing boat. So almost all physical labor, pretty much out of the question. But what about clerical or desk work? Uh, Israel, you know, had uh, 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 scholars estimate really, really high literacy rates. Well, those really, really high literacy rates at the time was still only about 3% of the population could read or write anything more than their name. And and, and without a means of getting to or from a tutor, uh, the idea of becoming a tax collector or a scholar or a scribe would have also been out of the question. He would have likely had to beg on the streets each day, relying on the charity of others just to get enough money to eat. Uh, He would have needed somebody, ideally his friends, to pick him up from his home and put him in either a market or by the synagogue, uh, and then just leave him there for the day. He would then have the great privilege of sitting in the heat all day, hoping that someone would stop long enough to drop a few coins, Uh, ideally enough for him to maybe get a loaf of bread. And unlike us today, he wouldn't have had the things that we use to distract ourselves. No books, no, no phones. All day, every day, he just had his thoughts to keep him company. His life would have been one of poverty, of hunger, and probably humiliation. There's no pride in a solid day's work, no accomplishment in finishing something that you set out to do, only a resigned dependence on the goodness of others and the goodness of God. However, I imagine that the physical poverty and humility uh, that he went through would have actually been probably the least of our friends' torments. You see, it was a common belief in ancient Israel that uh, physical handicaps and disabilities were actually the result of either your sin or your parents' sin. Even though the book of Job kind of is a whole book about how this isn't true, um, it was the predominant way of thinking nonetheless. So he would have spent his entire life wondering, what did I do wrong? What sin did I commit? How was it so heinous that God took away my ability to walk? Was it because I kicked a cat as a kid, or because I hated my cousin and I called him names, or because I cheated on my taxes. Uh, I, I mean, looking around, this man would have seen people kicking cats and cheating on their taxes, but they still had the ability to walk. These are people who God didn't strike down. So what was wrong with him? Did God just hate him? What had he done or what had his parents done? He, he quite literally probably just didn't know. I imagine that four years, one question would have floated to the top of all these other questions. How can I make these things better with God? What sacrifice can I make? What promise can I give or deal? Can I cut Uh, What if I promise to live a worthy life? Or if I promise to stop sinning or give half of everything I have to the synagogue? I know I've thrown up some of those prayers before, right before a stressful test or something like that, where I'm like, Lord, if you make me pass this, I'll never sin another day in my life. (laughs) I've thrown a couple of those up before. (laughs) And I've failed some tests as well. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> but he would be asking these questions and asking, well, then maybe, will God forgive me? Then will God love me? But as the years go by, life began to wear this man down. No more silent prayers in the middle of the night seemed to move God to compassion No promises seemed to change God's mind. No cries of anguish reached his divine ears. And so the paralyzed man becomes numb. Each day was the same. The sun comes up, bringing shame and guilt. His friends arrive to carry him to the market where humility and uncertainty are his only companions. Finally... His friends return from work, sweat on their brow, and they come to fulfill their final duty of the day, to carry him home where he sits in darkness, wondering if life will ever look different than what it looks like now. Are you there right now? Is your life marked by a nagging sense of guilt and shame that you can't quite put a finger on? Do you worry about your sins or skeletons in uh, yours or your family's closet? Have you been crying out to God for healing or deliverance or anything new? Have months or years of pain and disappointment made you numb? If you are, I need you to know you're not alone, especially not in this season. If y- but we want you to know you're not without hope because this story, it doesn't actually end with, with the paralyzed man on the streets. This is actually where it begins. You see, one day, talk in the market, it changes. This paralyzed man, he starts to hear words. Uh, Jesus, uh, Nazareth, uh, healing. He starts to put the pieces together in his head. Uh, a man named Jesus was in town and the power of the Most High was on him. And there it is, just a stirring of hope, just a spark. But no, this couldn't be for him, right? If God had wanted to heal him, he would have done it years ago. No, God wasn't going to finally restore our friend because God had forgotten him, right? But luckily for him, and luckily for us, God doesn't forget. Uh, the, par- the paralyzed man isn't the only one, though, who hears the rumors of this miraculous prophet with the power to heal. His friends, busy at work, hear the news and they wonder, could this be the answer to their friends' problems? The more they hear, the more they believe that Jesus is the Savior, that their friend needs so badly. So as soon as work was over, these men rush to where they left their paralytic friend. He, he's right there where they left him. His head is down, and half an eaten chunk of bread lies on his mat. One man kneels down and asks, Have you heard of this Jesus? Yes, he replies. Great, let's go. That's how I imagine the friend's saying to that. Uh, I, I don't know, could, 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 could this man's heart take it? Could he survive coming this close to a possible answer only to have it dashed? Probably not, right? Best just kind of stay on the streets, keep his head down, and only hope for things that are real uh, and material and within reach. But his friends, they're not so despondent, they have faith. They know that Jesus is the real deal and that he can change their friend's life. So they pick up his mat, not to take him home, but to actually take him further into the city. Maybe you aren't in the place of the paralyzed man. Maybe you're one of these friends. Your your faith is strong and deep and alive. You know about the power of relationship with Jesus And you know people who desperately, desperately need him. You see them and you see their pain. So you lift them up, maybe not on a mat, but in prayer. You carry your friends to Jesus all the time and intercede on their behalf. And uh, I know for me, this just happened to me this morning. I, I came in here and I was feeling discouraged. I came into this building, and I was feeling, oh, what I've got right here, it's not enough. And uh, we had a prayer time, and many people in this room right now, they've prayed over me today. They've lifted me up, even in my, uh, what I feel like are my failings and, and my lack of confidence, and they've lifted me up. And I urge you to continue that kind of behavior, because for the record, this story, it gets better. As they move through Capernaum, uh, maybe deep inside, this paralyzed man's heart, it begins to feel again. You know, the energy of the crowd, it's so electric, Uh, and maybe, just maybe, something could happen. Now, the the town, it's probably not large, uh, and so even carrying their friend, the men arrive quickly at this house where Jesus is staying. But they aren't the only ones who believe that Jesus can heal. The house is crowded, as are the streets outside. They can't see Jesus, but they can hear him. They hear his voice just floating out of the house. How to get near to him? The rumors say that Jesus moves around a lot. What happens if he moves before they can get healing for their friend? Well, that's not going to happen, they say to themselves. Not when we're this close. One of them looks around and gets a crazy idea. He's, you know, he's probably the guy who always gets crazy ideas. I have a friend like this, and one time, at ten, at 10 o'clock at night, he convinced me and another guy to drive to Edmonton, which was a three-hour drive, six-hour round trip, just to get ice cream in the middle of the night. I'm telling you, when we came home at 4 o'clock with only ice cream in our bellies, we, this guy was crazy. And that was, that was not a good call. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Probably had a test the next morning, (laughs) which I had to send up some weird prayers for. (laughs) Um, Anyways, this friend says, what if we went through the roof? You know? I hope he was a roofer. I I hope this guy, I really hope in his head he was like, oh, well, you know, it's filled with thrushes and and, and clay. We can take it all apart and we can get through and uh, I'll I'll, I'll fix it back up afterwards. But for some reason, I doubt that. Uh, If they could only get their friend to Jesus, and maybe for the first time ever, the other friends agreed to this crazy friend's idea. So they head up onto the roof, careful not to drop their friend on the way. Eventually, the noises from below in the house shift as bits of clay and grass begin to fall into the room below. Finally, a hole opens, just enough space to see the dark room. The men start pulling at the roof, taking bigger and bigger chunks away, uh, until the hole is finally big enough that they can fit their friend through. It's a good thing you don't get much to eat, one of them jokes. Nobody else thinks it's funny either. (laughs) In fact, a new wave of humility washes over the paralyzed man. Every eye in the house is on him. And as he's lowered like cargo into the middle of a room... He can feel the judgment, the annoyance. He interrupted the teacher, and he put a hole in a perfectly good roof. If only his friends would jump down. This was a horrible idea. They should just leave and go. And then he sees Jesus. And everything fades into the background. This teacher is sitting close by, watching him. Can't describe it, but it's not judgmental, and it's not annoyance. It's not even pity. It's love and excitement. And suddenly, everything changes for this man. The shame melts, and the doubts disappear uh, here, and he's face-to-face with Jesus. The man knows this could be the end of his pain the spirit of the most high god is almost visible on the teacher and he has the power to heal and the man begins to smile maybe a sheepish grin to begin with but soon it's broad and joyful he is lying in the presence of the anointed one a holy one but then his eyes drop down to his legs and he remembers his his smile it falters cuz he's a sinner he doesn't know which sin cost him the ability to walk, but he's still lowly and unworthy of the attention of Jesus. He's just a shameful, paralyzed man, and he should just go. And then with his voice, Jesus speaks. Hey, I see you. I see what's causing you such turmoil. I see your belief. I see your sins, and I forgive them. I see your sins, and I forgive you. Something breaks open inside the man, and he begins to weep. Years of guilt and shame released in great, ugly sobs. The Son of Man has looked down on his wrongdoings and has forgiven them. The room is dead quiet. No one dares to breathe in the kind of holiness of this moment. Something's changed forever for this guy. The man looks up through his tears at Jesus, and peace washes over his soul. He takes a deep breath, and Jesus just smiles and nods until whispers begin at the back of the room. And Jesus looks up, frowning, why do you have these evil thoughts? Why do you in the back doubt who I am? Which do you think is harder for me to do? To forgive this poor man of his sins or to heal his legs? Silence fills the room again. The air becomes uh, electric, like static discharge. Jesus cuts through the room with his words, Well, so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, see what I'll do. And he turns to the paralyzed man, my friend, get up, take your mat, and go home. Instantly, the air nearly crackles with power, hey? Warmth spreads from uh, the paralytic's toes, up his legs, across his hips. One leg twitches, and a sound comes out of him that's halfway between a sob and a laugh. He wiggles his toes, and overhead, his roofer friends, they're just... Just rooting and hollering, right? They're cheering away. He slides one foot towards his body and then the other. Can this really be happening after so long? He plants his feet underneath him, holding himself up by his hands. Slowly, so slowly, he puts weight into his feet, and they hold. The man smiles. He closes his eyes and begins to stand. Others reach out to help him, but... He doesn't need it. Jesus has healed him, not partially, but fully. His legs, they work. The man, no longer uh, paralyzed, stands in the presence of Jesus, tears streaming down his face. Jesus stands too, embraces the man. This has been for God's glory, Jesus whispers. Thank you for your patience. The man steps back, bends down, grabs his mat, and turns towards the door. The crowd parts, giving him a clear path. As he reaches the door, two Pharisees glare at him like all of the troubles in their world are his fault. But the man doesn't care. This this morning, he woke up burdened by the oppressive weight of guilt and shame and was unable to walk. Now his soul is light and his legs are carrying him through the city. He's been given new life, all thanks to Jesus, the Son of Man and the Son of God. Folks, I I love this story. I really think there are so many wonderful characters that cry out to be explored. So many people we, even today, can relate to. Whether we feel like, the paralyzed man, stuck in our sins and our circumstances, needing and craving deliverance. Or the friends, lifting our loved ones up to the Lord. Or, or maybe sometimes we're even the Pharisees, shocked and appalled at the mercy that God chooses to show people who maybe we don't feel like deserve mercy. I know that I've been all three At different times in my life, but now we've entered. uh, Now that we've entered into the story, into the lives of these people, I want to focus down on one word that Jesus spoke: authority. I know authority can be uh, a touchy subject, especially with what's going on in the world today. Dan even touched on it a little bit earlier. But the meaning behind Jesus' claim of authority has the ability to make a very deep impact on our life today. If we look at Matthew 9 verse six, Jesus says, "I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins." So he said to the paralyzed man, "Take, get up, take your mat and go home." The, the Greek word that the gospel author Matthew uses here is a word that's used a ton in the New Testament. And it's a word that's called exousia. Exousia. Sorry, my Greek isn't really kicking in right now. It's related to the word exesti, which is meaning uh, it's lawful. So it's a law kind of word. Think of a legal kind of word. But it's commonly used like well over a 100 times in the New Testament. And it can carry a few meanings, but there are two in particular that matter for this. First, Uh, Exousia speaks uh, of one's right to do something. Jesus has been given uh, the right to forgive sins. Uh, it's, It's not blasphemy for him to forgive the sins of the paralytic. Contrary to the thoughts of the Pharisees, this authority was given to him by the Father, the source of all authority in creation. But secondly, this word, this exousia, this authority... Speaks of the power to do something. This is different than the right to do something. I have the right to go out and uh, buy a Lamborghini. You know, in one sense, I have the authority to do so. I don't, however, have the financial ability to do so. Honestly, in this market, I'd be hard pressed to find like a 90s Honda Civic. Um, (laughs) Jesus, however, Uh, has been given both the right to forgive the sins of the paralyzed man and the power to take away those sins. Jesus was claiming authority, both the right and the power, that only belongs to God. In this story, Jesus is claiming his divinity, and we must understand this is really important to us, both here and for Uh, life eternal Jesus who elsewhere in the Bible refers to himself as the good shepherd our protector and provider he has the right and the power to look after our daily needs he could force the man's leg to do something they were unable to do before this encounter this means that no matter how dark you feel like your situation is Jesus has authority over it. The person who loves you more than anyone else ever will, who knows you, your strengths, your weaknesses, your temptations, your sins, your joys, even your victories, he has the right and the power to deliver you from whatever situation you're in or to strengthen you to walk with him through them. But even more importantly, Jesus claims the authority to deliver us from our sins. He took away all of the shame and all of the guilt and all of the oppression of sin when he let himself be nailed to the cross, which is something we get to think about in this Lenten season. No matter how deep you've kept your secrets, no matter how dark they really are, or whether you think that anybody who ever found out about them could possibly understand or accept you, know this, Jesus already knows. He sees you, and he forgives you. When life is a confused mess, we can rest knowing that he's got us. He will never turn his back on us on our hardest days, We can rest knowing that he will carry us through. Now, I want to close this time with something a little weird. It might be a little uncomfortable for some of you, but that's okay. Um, uh, This is a short imaginative exercise, uh, and I'm adapting this kind of prayer from uh, something Mark Buchanan, a guy who spoke here at Hillside a few months ago, did with us. Uh, If you're comfortable... I'd invite you to close your eyes for a couple minutes. And I'm going to share this story again, but just a little differently. Because I want you to imagine that you're in the house. You're listening to Jesus with the rest of the crowd. Imagine the scene. The sun sits just above the horizon. And the city is bathed in golden light. Dust hangs in the air from hundreds of feet shuffling through the streets. Bodies are pressed together just to hear a few words from their teacher, this Jesus. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof, took off some tiles, then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd, right in front of Jesus. A man is lowered into this room, and you can tell by the shape, his legs, that he can't walk. While everyone else looks at this man in your mind's eye, I want you to take a look at Jesus. What does his face tell you right now? Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. How does this make you feel? But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? It's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home, praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe as they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. What does seeing a miracle with your own eyes do to you? Now, I want you to take a minute, bring all these thoughts and feelings to Jesus. I want you to tell him what you've seen. I want you to tell him what you think about his authority over both our physical world and over our spiritual world. you can slowly uh, blink your eyes open. If you're in a good moment, feel free to stay there. Uh, but uh, uh, I-, I want you to reflect on what you've seen in your imagination today. As uh, I call uh, the worship team forward, uh, for some of you, a holy imagination is a completely new and foreign and weird idea. It might be really uncomfortable for you. An experience like this, though, It might be really life-giving. Either way, I want you to continue to talk about it with God. Talk to your friends. Talk to your family. Allow this holy imagination to bring color to the rest of your Bible reading this week, to the rest of your prayers this week, and see what happens. And remember, because of the fact that Jesus is in control of your life, you can rest in him today. Amen.